listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. Uh, we are in 1 John. If you have your Bible today, you can turn to 1 John 2, 1 through 6. If you don't, as always, it's printed in the order of worship. These are three letters that we're in the middle of that John wrote. It's the same John that, was a, that wrote the book of John, the same John that wrote Revelation. Um, and so he basically wrote one gospel and then four letters, Revelation being one of those. And uh, so far, whether it's John's gospel or even what we've talked about last week, John's talking about the idea that ultimately the world's not divided by race or economics or politics. The problem with the world is it's divided between light and darkness. That's really the root of all the, the, the friction, all the divisions that we have. And Jesus came into the world. He was bold enough to proclaim that he was the light because he represented the Father. People that, that didn't believe his words or who he was and, and God the Father, he said they're living in darkness. Not in a condescending way, but he's saying, I have brought the light and I've shown a better way to live. And there's that ignore that and they go on their own pathway, they're living and walking in darkness. One way, walking in the light, represented truth and love and flourishing and thriving as a human being. Walking in the darkness, the idea of frustration, anxiety, destruction and even hatred I mean you know we, we saw it in the Gospel of John hatred to the point where they killed the Son of God so last week we talked about this idea of walking in the light so Jesus is the light what does walking in the light look like and we have talked about the idea of like what does it look like to share life with God I mean, so where a lot of people get it wrong is they think I've got to clean up I've got to get my act together and and as I do that then God's going to love me and accept me. And we said that's the opposite of what the Bible teaches, what Jesus teaches, and what John is teaching here. It's, uh, what we talked about last week was this calls us to be honest about ourselves, to confess that we don't get it right and we'll continually mess up, to acknowledge that we have a Father in Heaven that forgives us and loves us in spite of all the things we do wrong over and over again because it's not based on our work but based on what Jesus did to foster that relationship. So today, in John's letter, we're going to look at this idea that, again, no matter how bad we're messed up, no matter how bad we think we are, that we are not just forgiven. That's one thing. But we are not alone. So let's talk about this in this section uh, today. John says, chapter 2, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And this is, we may know that we are, this is, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
I'm going to open our eyes today. Uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of things um, in a very simple passage. Um, and Lord, help us to uh, have eyes to see. Give us wisdom. Um, I cannot explain this as well as it needs to be explained because your Holy Spirit has to be at work here. Uh, Lord, help us to know what you're calling us to do as a result of this. Ultimately, not only what to do, but how to view you and our relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's an understatement to say that we're all bored uh, with the idea of, of a sense of justice. The, the, the right and wrong. While justice is important to us in our personal lives, it becomes extremely important when we think about the position of power, those above us, whether it's people in the court systems or authority over us or even leaders of our world. We have this idea that we, see, we long for justice. We, we have something in our hearts and we want people that know right and wrong and the difference and can deal with situations in a fair way. This is what we want in our judges. This is what I want, we want in our leaders. And we've seen over our lifetime, probably more than other, the outrage that happens when a certain uh, group of people or, or certain individuals feel like they haven't been given justice. And many times we look at it and we're like, Justice hasn't been served, has it not been served? It's so confusing at times because we live in an imperfect world. And then not only that, but then we, there's the idea that we want justice. But, and we want people to pay for their crimes. We want people to, to get, get what they deserve until it comes to us. See, we should all, at any given point, when we're, when we're looking at uh, this idea of justice in the world and, and people being prosecuted for certain things or people uh, paying for certain things that they have done, we should all, at some point, be torn between the fact that we all long for justice, we desire justice, but we all know that we've all done a lot of things in our life wrong. And at the end of the day, we pray in our deepest of our hearts that we don't have to account for everything that we've done wrong in our lives, in heaven, and in earth. We pray that nobody, including God himself, keeps a list that he's going to hold against us of everything that we've done wrong in our lives. You ever notice how relationships turn so sour? Uh, and I've, I've seen this in counseling at points where each person has a laundry list that they're holding against the other person. There is no hope for those relationships until they get over that. But this is who we are as human beings. Now this is what we're also going to talk about today uh, because what we're going to see today is kind of a, a different kind of courtroom that's set up. But, but there's still the same idea of, of justice uh, in a judge and an attorney in a trial and the accused. All of those same components are still there, but the way it plays out is totally different. So, and it might blow your mind. So let's look at three points today. We're going to talk about the idea that we have an advocate with the Father. We have a payment for our sins. And then we have a way in which to walk as a result of those things. So let's look at this idea that, that I, we have an advocate with the Father. What does that even mean? Look at uh, verse 1. John says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Who is that? Jesus Christ, the righteous. Which basically means the epitome of justice. Don't be offended by this uh, phrase, little children. 
uh, is something John used here to just basically remind us that people like you and I are still learning about these things. Um, and we're not going to catch everything in this passage the first time around. I'm still, this week, was amazed at what I saw in this passage that I'd never seen before. If you haven't noticed, when you become a believer in God, there's something very simple. And that is the idea uh, that faith is simple. You know, faith is not hard. Faith is just the idea of believing in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus. And, and, and God uses faith to bring us into a relationship with Him. We repent, we have faith. The Bible talks about it, simple thing all the time. But after that, if you haven't noticed, there's a big learning curve. And this is kind of what the idea of little children here. Meaning, after that, it begins to change the, everything you are, how you act, how you view the world and others. And a lot of times it can be a lot to take in. But John is telling us, this is why he's writing this letter. He's, he's wanting us to continue uh, well, sorry, to keep us from continuing doing wrong things and thinking wrong things. Because John knows his own heart, first of all. He knows our heart. We're going to keep doing wrong things. He said, I'm right because I'm hoping that you will not continue in the same sins over and over. But if, when you do, if you do, John's saying, we have an advocate. Because he knows it's in our DNA. We talked about this last week. Even people like Billy Graham admitting, like, I still struggle with sin. It's just over time, it's different in some ways. So he's basically saying, don't worry if you sin. You're not going to lose your relationship with God. The Father is not keeping score. And more than that, every time you sin, every time you do wrong, you're not only forgiven. He said, you are not alone. You have an advocate at that point when you sin. Not after you repent. He says, when you sin, you have an advocate. And who is that? Jesus Christ himself. See, the term here for advocate is not a passive word. The term is exactly the word for defense attorney. It's not like someone that's, you know, advocate for certain people. Like, I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, I got your back, buddy. And like, no. It's a legal term for defense attorney. All of a sudden, we're starting to see this courtroom idea shape up here. See, here's how we get it wrong. We think that when we blow it big time, that all of a sudden we're in this black hole and we have isolated ourselves and that we are alone. This is what the devil wants us to think and this is what our dark hearts wants us to think because when we do that, we're in trouble. When we think that, it's not true. But this is what we do. We think, man, I blew it. God loves me less now. I can't even talk to him now. I've got to figure out a way to make this up so we become defensive about what we did or self-justify what we did or we just try to cover it up and pretend like it wasn't there because we don't want to deal with it and we think that we're having to deal with it on our own. John is reminding us, when you do something bad, no matter how bad it is, that Jesus is the first one that comes to your defense and reminds us that we are loved and he not only has our back, he has our front too, because he's our defense attorney. Because again, it's not like us. I mean, it's not about us. It's not what we have done and haven't done. Jesus keeps reminding us, like, I've done this for you. I've paid for this. Which brings us to our second point. We have a payment for sin. Verse 2. He says, uh, he is the propitiation for our sin. Talking about Jesus. Not only for ours, but the sins of the whole world. Now, I used to have this calendar when I worked in school on my desk called the Word of the Day. Have you ever, ever had any of them? 
you know, y'all notice in the gas stations now, they like, the word of the day, you know, erudite, you know, like, okay, why are you, why are you telling me this at the gas station? The, the one, the, the, I think the one at Sitco, no, the one at uh, Circle K has had the same word for like six months on there. I'm like, this is not the word of the day. <laughs> yeah. Three years. Is it? Okay. All right. But anyway, the, the idea of this calendar that I had was the word of the day, and uh, you know, it was a, you know, it was usually a word you're not familiar with that people don't use in, in normal vocabulary, and it kind of to increase your vocabulary. And, and most of the time, it's just a word that was useless. Like if you used, you look like the most pretentious person that you know anybody has ever seen. Uh, I, I would like to risk it sometimes, but, but you know, it, it's the way it made you look. But other things uh, that you would notice, like, was a word that was very specific that couldn't be explained any other way. And this is why I believe that uh, the translation here is still propitiation after all these years. And here's the reason why. There's not really a word in the English language that is equivalent to this idea of propitiation. And I've heard it in the past at different churches, and they've only done justice to one side of it. And I'm going to tell you why. First, it is the idea that you can kind of guess by the context here that he is the payment for our sins, which means he's atoned for our sins, means he's taken on our sins as the Savior. That's part of it. And I don't. Maybe you're like me, uh, some of you guys in here, I'm bad at receiving. I mean, I prefer to give to others than, than to receive, and it's a pride thing, I'll admit that. But here's where it gets worse. Here's how it plays out the other way. When I screw up, I want to fix it myself. I want everybody to leave me alone. Give me space, including God. Just let me, let me do it on my own. This is reminding this propitiation, this payment, that Jesus paid a price on the cross our sins but we don't have to fix ourselves but there's another aspect to this propitiation that when I dug into this this week that I hadn't seen before and it makes sense the second idea and the, and the main idea of propitiation is a covering is a covering here's where it gets interesting the word propitiation means covering your wrongdoings yes but as Jesus came he, he, he says he also covered the whole world so here's the question that people will well, think when they look at this passage, does it mean that everybody's sins are covered? If so, then everybody goes to heaven just like dogs, right? Um, it does mean the world has been. That's not what it means. Here's what it does mean. It means the world has been changed for the better as Jesus has provided a covering from that. When the light Jesus came into the world, at that point, the world would never be the same. The light came in, and we, we pray this every week, this idea of the prayer of Jesus, that his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Because there's a sense of where Jesus came, he started his kingdom, uh, and, and the world was better because Jesus came. Evil still exists. Jesus acknowledged that. He said evil is like weeds in a, in a, in a uh, field. They're going to grow, but it doesn't stop the wheat. The wheat's going to grow too. So it's going to continue to go. Why? Because Jesus covered the earth in that way. And we're going to talk more about that later in our series. But here's what I want you to get about that, this word propitiation. Jesus is not potentially the king of the world, depending on how the world reacts. He really is the Savior and king of the world. And by faith, he becomes our individual Savior. That's what we're talking about here. 
and it changes lives for the better, which brings us to our last point. We have a way in which to walk. It says uh, here in verse 3, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. Truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Notice he didn't say they are perfected. He said the love of God is perfected in their lives. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. Talking about Jesus. So here's this idea that John's presenting here to say, if you love Jesus, you will follow his commands. The things that, that God has said, these are the things that I desire for my people. Now, I'm going to admit it. I'm going to repent publicly. I have always had a problem with authority. You can ask my wife. I don't care who it is. And I'm not bragging about this. This is something I have to repent of all the time. Um, because I'm very called to submit to authority. But I'm telling you, if you tell me something that I better do and I ought to do, you better have a good reason behind it. I'm, I'm not going to do it. And so the worst phrase that my parents ever said to me when I said why was what? Because I said so. Now, I'm not saying they didn't have a right to tell me that. They did have the authority to tell me that. And I'm not saying they were wrong. I'm just saying that I hated that phrase. Now, why am I telling you this? This passage that we see and the passage in the Bible where God's giving commandments it says, if you love God, you will keep your commandments. Uh, you notice it didn't say, if you keep God's commandments, he will love you. It didn't say that. It said, if you love God, you'll keep his commandments. God is not saying, you just need to obey. That's not the God we serve. Another Sykes and Salem moment here at Chelsea Crest. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that, that, that God loves you, and if you understand that, this passage is saying, in light of all the things that have been discussed, in light of understanding you have an advocate, in light of understanding that God the Father loves you and He's here for you, like as a result, that should transform you if you really get it. People that I admire and I trust, I want to do the things that they ask me to do. My heroes, my friends that I love, I want to imitate the good of who they are and take that and, and become a different person as well. And John is saying the Father more than anybody else can be trusted. Jesus more than anyone in the world can be, uh, have your best interest in mind. And when you come to the point where you realize how much God loves you, and when you come to the point where you see God for who He really is, and you realize He's not a dictator, He's not an authoritative, He's a good Father. Then, of course, the results are going to be wanting to do what he asked you to do. John's already said we're not ever going to be able to do it perfectly. But as a result, and people think, man, this sense of duty in Christianity, this is the thing I have to do. The people I know that are the, that are the most authentic Christians are people that, number one, that had the idea of, that we talked about last week are chief confessors. They're always repenting and confessing. But the other thing I know, they don't see Christianity as a sense of duty. It's out of an overflow of the love that they have for God. And it, more and more it becomes natural in their lives. See, if we really want, if we really know the Father, we, we want to spend time with Him. If you don't want to spend time with God, it probably means you don't know who He is. Or you've got a false view of who He is. 
He has our best interests in mind. It is about trust and faith. Um, but then God says, if you say you know him, and you do continue to do the opposite in your life, habitually, you, you, you live your life and say, I'm just going to keep doing what I want to do anyway. He's saying, don't fool yourself or pretend. God knows. You're like, you're like fooling yourself or maybe just the people around you. You're just a liar. So why not live authentically? I would, I would rather, we, we had this conversation growing up in our house, so I would rather my daughter just outright say, I hate God, than to pretend that she loved God and knows Him when she really doesn't. Because at least one is honest. See, as you walk with God and you share life with God, more and more your walk begins to look like God. The same way you walk with when you spend time with people, you all begin to imitate uh, each other. Um, and, and this only happens when you're reading His Word, finding out who He is, praying. Don't take people's word for who God is. And the more and more your life is going to look like Jesus, not perfection ever, but just striving and aspiring to do more godly things. Not only does He love you, we talked about this before, he's got your back. So let me sum it up like this. This idea of we have an advocate. This idea that we have payment for our sins. This idea that we have a way to walk. Imagine this, if you're in a courtroom. And we, you, know, you don't have to imagine anymore because we see so many courtroom shows nowadays. Imagine you're in a courtroom and you're on trial. And God is a judge. And Jesus is sitting right there by him, right hand of the Father, right? As a judge. And... You, they know everything that's ever been done in your life and that's brought up before you and you know everything and you're, looking, and you're sitting there thinking about that in this way and you can't deny you're guilty you know it it's between you and God and Jesus Jesus comes down from that platform and he's your defense attorney like he's saying no 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 yeah. when you look at him you know let me tell you I died on his behalf I'm an advocate I'm going to keep pointing you back to me God in that. But then, like no other attorney would ever do, Jesus says, get out of the seat of the accused, and I'm going to sit in that seat where you sat. And he sits in the seat, and he tells God, the ultimate judge, let him go. I'll take the sentence. I'll take the shame. I'll take the blame. I will take the death sentence, which he did. This is what John's getting at here. See, Jesus didn't come to earth to be a good person, to be a martyr, to lay down his life for people like you, you and me that love. He paid the ultimate price so that you'll have all the benefits of being a son and daughter of God. Everything you, you, you have done, if you believe in God, everything you have done, do now, and do in the future, Jesus paid that, he covered that, and when God looks at us now as believers, he sees Jesus Christ and not this longer list of things that we keep bringing up in our lives. And as a result of that reality, we confess more. We want to spend more time with God. We begin to do what He wants us to do more. Not out of duty, not out of fear, but out of love and our friendship with that. Rest in that reminder. Think about those things as we come to the table today. Let's pray. Father God, you're a God of goodness and love and mercy. You're also a God of justice. You couldn't have uh, just saw what we did and just said, let him go, it's no big deal. What kind of judge does that? No one. There was a price to pay. There was a death sentence on our backs. 
We were dead men and women walking. And Lord, you paid the price for all those things. Help us to just rest in that. There's nothing to do around this. Help us just to receive it. Help us just contemplate it. Help us most of all, God, to praise you and be grateful for all that you've done in your son. It's in his name I pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseapres.org or check us out on Facebook.